Today we're celebrating female directors who are making waves in Russia. Here's critic Hannah Flint on one of them. Especially when it comes to crime, how limited women have to get out, to escape. I think there's a really tragic element to her storyline. You get a real sense that she's losing her daughter and she's trying to kind of give her the better life. I also speak to Evgenia Markova in this week's Girls on Film. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and this episode is in partnership with the London Russian Film Festival. So the Russian Film Festival is happening right now till December the 10th, 2021 on BFI Player. Of the 10 films, four are by Russian women, including the films Stanislavski, Lust for Life, and The Story of an Appointment. But we've chosen to delve deeper into two of the films in the festival called Masha and Dr. Lisa. To review them, I am delighted to welcome film critic Hannah Flint back onto the pod. Hannah first came on Girls on Film with her mother, Caroline Flint, on episode 31. Hannah, welcome back to Girls on Film. Good to be back. Solo this time, obviously, without mum, but I'm sure she'll come back on soon. <laughs> How is your mum? We loved having her the other... It was last year, wasn't it? Gosh, I yeah. know, it's been so long. No, she's she's great. She was filling me in yesterday on what film she saw this weekend. She saw King Richard and Eternals. She wasn't a fan of Eternals, but she liked King Richards. So there we go. That's Caroline's recommendations. <laughs> and um, in brief, before we get into Russian film, what have you been up to? What's going on in your world? Oh, well, I had an exciting uh, new gig. I'm MTV Movies, a host. I've started with MTV. We're doing specials that go out on YouTube, and each special is dedicated to a film. So we did one on Eternals. We've got one on House of Gucci that's just come out. So yeah, hopefully we'll continue that into the new year. But that's been really fun uh, to do, a bit of hosting. Nice. Congrats. That's great. I must catch some of that. And, and great films to pick on as well. Yeah, fascinating to talk about. House of Gucci was great. Yeah, I just saw it today, actually. Yeah, briefly, um, thumbs up for our listeners. Oh, yeah, no, thumbs up. I mean, you can't see it, but yeah, definitely. I mean, ignore the accents and just just let it wash over you. So we're here today to talk about the London Russian Film Festival, which is running online, as you know. And I'm really interested to know what you think of these. We've, we've been speaking to someone from the festival about a bit of background from it, but I wanted to take a deep dive into two particular films here. The first is Dr. Lisa, which is a biographical drama by the award-winning director Oksana Karas. And Dr. Lisa was the nickname for a Russian philanthropist who helped many people in need. She founded a charity. And this film follows her on one hectic day when she tries to help the father of a seriously ill girl. Ну, нет. 
What did you make of this one, Hannah? You know what? It really reminds me of some... I can imagine this being like a BBC or ITV sort of like film because it has that kind of very grounded, not flashy sort of drama. You could see, I don't know, you could see someone like Keely Hawes playing like the lead role. It's got that sort of quality to it. I really enjoyed the fact that it was in like one day. It kind of meant the stakes were there and you really kind of understood what (laughs) someone like this woman, Dr. Lisa, would go through. I mean, it just seems like she was being pulled every which way. I suppose for me as someone who has no idea who this person is, I think it really gave a good sense of what she does, what she needs to do. And and also creates a really good impression of like the systemic problems that occur when it comes to healthcare, but also homelessness as well. I thought it kind of hit a lot of a lot of key themes and points that as much as it's a, a biographical drama, it's also got these really, I suppose, grander themes about our society and how we kind of it doesn't always it's not always fit for purpose. Well it was fascinating to see that, wasn't it? And like a lot of films in this fest, it's kind of opening our eyes into contemporary Russian culture in a way that I mean I haven't been to Russia for kind of fifteen years, so no or more. And I was surprised the level of that homelessness that you see in this film. And and for the listeners just to contextualize it so dr lisa is someone that she has a a very big heart and she doesn't necessarily play by the rules so if someone comes to her for a prescription that normally needs to be checked with lots of different higher ups and it's urgent she will just you know tear up the rule book right and she will help these people so it's it's really a film about someone who is intensely caring and principled and I mean, she's a heroine, right? I mean, that's kind of the definition of a hero in a way, isn't it? Making a sacrifice and risking her own career, really, for these these patients. What do you think? I could easily see if this was done in like a Hollywood way. It'd be very melodramatic. She'd be kind of be a scene of her like shouting, screaming, or she'd be like falling down against the wall crying because she's just so stressed and wants to do it. I like the fact that she takes everything in her strides. She's constantly smoking. She likes to have a drink. She swears. It's kind of this a heroine that doesn't need to be overtly, like she can be vulnerable, but it doesn't have to be this like very stereotypical, overly emotional way that often we have with those kind of characters. I think of someone like, you know, like Marie Colvin in um, A Private War. She's an amazing character. And I think, and like real person as well, who did all these amazing stuff. She's a humanitarian as with Dr. Liza, but there are a few times in that film where it felt like, oh, this is playing into very weird stereotypes about how women in like, I suppose, masculine sort centric kind of stories are meant to kind of be seen. Yeah, I really like what you said about that and has her a character who's complex and interesting and relatable rather than just this like kind of, yeah, heroine or as you say, a woman that has to play in a man's world and has to be a certain way. And what did you think of the central performance? Yeah, I I mean, I've never met this actress on screen before and I suppose like you, it's kind of, it's opened up my eyes to Russian cinema, which obviously, I, you know, for my own sins, I have not explored. So I will be exploring for one BFI player. But yeah, I think it was, again, it was just quite understated. She has such, such brilliant eyes that quite emote quite a lot. Towards the end, there's a scene where, not to give it away, but there's a scene where she realises that like a kind of friend has nearly kind of done one, done one over on her. And she, there's not really much said in it, but you just see in her eyes how hurt she is by it. But she's also like, OK, that is what it is. But then I suppose throughout the film, what you realise is that she's the one kind of double crossing as well. She's the one who's kind of, you know, making promises. So in a way, it's not trying to, I suppose she's very good at kind of getting you on side, but also like 
recognizing that she's just a real woman who has to do what it takes to get the job done and you know people are in pain and they're dying and you know fundamentally I suppose it's like the ends justify the means I think that's fun to say especially when the the ends are so human and trying to help charitable what genre would you put this in because you, when you're talking about it there you, there's definitely you're bringing out the thriller elements but I think there's also a little bit of dark comedy in here I think some of the scenes where there's one scene where I think one of the homeless people needs wants to get a certificate and it's kind of they turn up this kind of businessman in his like very big suit and he's coming in and he's giving them the certificate and it's just one of those moments where it's just quite like I mean I wouldn't say it's dark comedy but there's that the kind of comedic tinge to it where there are moments of levity and I think in a way you need it because it's quite harrowing. I mean I feel for me I I once did a an overnight for crisis at Christmas. And one of the jobs you have to do over this like 12 hour shift is one of them was I had to be in a room and help some of the people who were homeless with an injury to the toilets. And you just, that that whole being in that room, you just feel like how much pain people are in. And even some people, they said they can't go to hospital because if they go too early, they'll get kicked out sooner. So they want to make the most of staying in this place. And I suppose that what I kind of gathered from here is that there's, you know, the moment where they go to a homeless area and you see the visceral you know, brutality, what it takes when you're living on the streets. And, but there's still that moments of levity where, you know, she's, she's, she's saying, oh, you haven't got a bum <laughs> like to, to tell Dr. Liza. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's really important to show the kind of dart and despair. And I suppose the harrowing, but also that there is a sense of humor. And actually sometimes people just need that. Let's have, be human and accept that these aren't just, they are just statistics they are real human people with vast range of human emotions as well yeah I find it a very accessible film despite the dark subject matter so I think yeah I I would agree I definitely want to recommend if you want to learn more about that culture and, and see the story of a real heroine quite frankly amazing woman so our second film is Masha now this is a crime drama and it's a debut feature by Anastasia Palchikova um, and it's produced by the creators of To The Lake which is big on Netflix in 60 countries apparently so this tells a story about 13 year old Masha whose world is unexpectedly shattered when she learns the criminal truth about her friends so basically it's very much her point of view isn't it and that's what I loved about this it's the point of view of a girl who is coming of age and suddenly realising that a lot of her male friends and family members are in a gang and they are not, they are doing very bad things. My godfather was the head of the local mafia gang. He took care of my problems. But you see, he caused all my problems in the first place. Talk to me about this one, Hannah. You know what's interesting? I don't know why in my head, but I kind of remember like Goodfellas in the sense of when like Henry at the beginning, he's just like, yeah, I kind of know the bad, but it's kind of like glamorous. It's kind of, she, so in a way, Masha, she gets she gets this privilege of she's untouchable. She's like the kind of her uncle's, you know, favorite, you know, niece. So it's kind of, you get this element of like, it's easy to kind of, I suppose, not really pay attention. Also, I mean, she's 12, 13, so she probably doesn't know, but she must have some sort of idea of what's going on. So it had that and it's got that kind of, I suppose, because it's kind of gangsters as well. So there's that, I felt that sort of element 
I was quite, that reminded me of it a fair bit. I really enjoyed that perspective because normally, again, on gangsters type stuff, it's always like a coming of age about some kid. Does he get made or not? You know, whereas this is about this young girl who wants to do stereotypically girl things, even though she's in this very violent environment. But it's also quite tragic because she's also kind of somewhat unaware of the, the circumstances and the history and everything that's going on outside, she's got kind of blinkers off and then suddenly they come off. There there was a moment or two in this which I thought was particularly chilling because it was understated. And without spoilers, there's a moment where she overhears a conversation about something that has happened, something that someone has done. And she probably doesn't fully understand what's being talked about. But it, I find it so chilling, the fact that it wasn't made dramatic thing of and that in these men's lives in these criminals lives the way they were treating women is entirely disposable was very chilling I thought that was really a short direction yeah I think what both these films have in common is that it's not it's not trying to heighten anything it's trying to like this is this could be almost documentary-esque it's very naturalistic some things aren't going to be these massive outlandish situations one of the scenes I remember is where someone that a woman gets beaten up and she's, you know, Marsha arrives for a singing lesson and it's just one of those moments where you're kind of like, you see the physical, you don't see that. That's what I like as well. You don't see that violence against the woman. You kind of see the aftermath, but also just in a very short scene, but you gather kind of what's going on in that woman's head who's just been beaten. And I suppose the situation she's got, she's basically been forced into. And in that moment, Marsha kind of, I think in a way she realises like, the severity of the world that she lives in because of somewhat her involvement in that situation happening. Not that it's her fault, but like I think it's just so subtle in the ways that she's slowly, it's kind of like you're slowly learning along with Marsha how like this world works and what it means and actually you're growing up. There was a really brilliant scene earlier on where they're playing pool and she's getting hugged and touched and it's just very, you feel very, for this man like hugging her and touching her and won't let her go away. She's like, I need the toilet. And it's just people watching and no one's actually saying it, but you know exactly how she's feeling in that moment. And that's what I like is like sometimes, you know, it's not dialogue heavy. It allows you just to allow these scenes to breathe and play out so you can really feel, I suppose, attention and, and just feel discomfort as well because you just you're always kind of on her side you mentioned the singing teacher another thing I loved about this film which is also like the last film you know something that takes the edge off the darkness is the music in it she loves to sing you know she idolizes women who can sing and she's got a lovely voice and she's and in the soundtrack there's some really great tunes and from at last to uh, Mr Sandman fantastic music and I thought that kind of jazzy soundtrack particularly in in the voice of such a young girl gave it a really interesting atmospheric flavor yeah and I think it also shows I suppose again it's like a coming age film but her kind of growing up and maybe growing up too soon I also think it was interesting that the songs well were mainly American they were kind of English language as well and you kind of get like it's it's like that's how the how she kind of escapes uh, that's my impression. She was kind of through music. She was able to escape into a, I suppose, a romantic idea of what her life could be. And yes, yeah, so, and that repeated use and the way, you know, one person sings one song and suddenly that becomes her new favourite song. And then even, you know, at the very beginning, how Mr. Sandman is used and it's kind of a very, you're kind of a very slow, like a long scene that takes place and you're like, okay, wait for something to happen. You kind of know what's going to happen. But another way to distract from 
the real reality of what's going on. Mr. Salmon is asleep, so it's like she's she's not asleep and then she gets woken up to the realities of her world, I suppose. Yeah, you're so right. And the way each song is, is kind of repeated and gradually and in different ways is a regular refrain. It really stayed with me. I really enjoyed the whole music mixing in this. Anything else about Masha that you wanted to highlight, particularly from a feminist perspective? I think what I really enjoyed is, again, it's centred. You know, I think her mother, the character of her mother as well, I liked her narrative journey. How often... In these quite archaic, I suppose, hierarchies and traditional families, and I suppose especially when it comes to crime, how limited women have to get out, to escape. I think there's a really tragic element to her storyline. You get a real sense that she's losing her daughter and she's trying to kind of give her the better life. And and I think that was a really interesting because she wasn't just, you know, this pitiful. She tries to she tries to get her out. She tries to get Marsha away from this. Seeing that was really quite refreshing because as you know, something like Goodfellas, I mean, you don't really have too much with Henry, Henry's wife. You don't really get too much from her perspective. Whereas like this is the men are far more in are more in the peripheral even though they're quite central to what happens to Masha. I think it definitely tries to focus on these two, this mother and daughter, and I suppose how how it's kind of hard for women to get out. They're kind of trapped in a system that refuses to, you know, if you've not got jobs or, you know, if you've got, you know, a husband, ex-husband, who won't let you have the flat. It's like how, how, how hard it is for people to leave, I think, as well. Like the difficulty of it is, it is for women to be able to get up and go. Sometimes it's very much you're beholden to these patriarchal structures, and I think this one kind of highlights it very well. What have you learned about Russia broadly from these these two films in the season that you didn't know before? I mean, I think the healthcare stuff is just amazing, just as to think, just the difficulties through which people are able to get prescriptions. It really made me, I mean, it's like, you know, I think, of, you know, Russia is this big super, it's kind of a big superpower, as is America, but both of them have got systems that I really do not support support the people that live there. I mean, it makes me kind of... The UK is terrible in so many ways, but thank God for the NHS. And I think that's what's interesting about the crime. I suppose the crime and I suppose, in a way, they both shows how these the systemic problems... In Marsha, it's like the systemic problem of crime, how, you know, how there's still this organised crime that doesn't really get dealt with. And it causes, like, you know, it causes problems within the community and people get sucked into it. And then obviously with Dr. Liza, it's like, it's really hard to make change and it's so difficult. And sometimes you have to, you have to blur that line of what's right and wrong to get there. But I also really like that, I suppose, with this, everything I hear about kind of Russia is, I suppose there's like Chekhov and Tolstoy. It's nice to have some modern ideas of cinema rather than going to the classics, you know, or, you know, when it comes to Russia, there's The Great or, you know, the or the other one that Helen Mirren did, Catherine The Great. So it's nice to have some actual contemporary understanding Russia is, what Russia is now rather than, you know, 10, 20 years ago during, I suppose, period pieces. I know that obviously Masha is 90s, but do you know what I mean? Rather than a hundred years ago. Definitely. I, I've learned a lot and I'm looking forward to seeing the rest. Have you managed to catch any of the other ones yet or you you yet to view them? No, but there's one about, there's a couple of dance ones on there that I'm really quite interested in. There's about 10 or 12, aren't there? So I think there's this There's 10, week, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go check them all out. BFI, God, maybe this is like a weird little plug, but BFI Player is one of the best subscriptions I've bought. It's so good. 
they do have amazing stuff on there, don't they? And it's, you could just browse it for hours. And again, you know, this is not a plug, but yeah, just genuinely, just like we're going through it, just going, wow. I mean, I have all the subscriptions pretty much, like Netflix now, um, Prime. But I think with there, you've got a really great capsule collections of easy to find films that are like, you know, indie ones, ones that you won't get on Netflix, classics. I mean, God, there's so much on there from like, hundred years ago this I mean I've got a list of all the films that I should watch because I didn't go to film school and I feel like I've got a lot of catching up to do so it's like I make a list of all the classic films that definitely need to be checked off so so yeah definitely recommend they probably use that one your online film school basically (laughs) yeah nicely done (laughs) well listen Hannah thank you so much for joining us today is there anything else people should know about I mean follow you on Twitter to find out what you're up to all that stuff follow me at Twitter at Hannah Flint you can listen to my weekly reviews podcast with the critics Amon Warman and Clarice Lockery that's Fade to Black you can find us on most podcast platforms and yeah that's that's about it for now just check out my stuff on YouTube or MTV MTV UK you can see some fun interviews and me talking to Adam Driver about his wig game in House of Gucci oh I'm definitely going to have to watch that <laughs> I need to know more about the wig excellent alright well Hannah thank you so much and we'll speak to you again soon thank you That was Hannah Flint discussing Dr. Lisa and Masha with me, two films that are part of the London Russian Film Festival. It's available to watch now for the first time on the BFI player. The Russian Film Festival is organised by Roskino and our next guest on today's Girls on Film is the CEO of Roskino, Evgenia Markova. Oh, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here with you today. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, we're excited about the Russian Film Festival. Um, but first of all, obviously, you're the CEO of Roskino. Can you tell us briefly what that is? Yes, sure. I'll do it with pleasure. So in England, you have BFI, which is British Film Institute. They have different faces, so to say, and do different things. But in one thing, we're completely similar. And this is the promotion of uh, national cinematography abroad, so internationally and globally. Roskino is doing. Uh, Roskino is the local domestic name since this year. What we do is mainly we do under two different brand names. One is Russian content worldwide. And this is basically mainly to B2B business to business audience. And uh, our consumer experience we bring under the uh, brand name Russian Film Festival. And this is also the name and the project which which we are doing this year together with BFI, which we're extremely happy about and really, really looking forward very much because we launched this project, the Russian Film Festival. Last year, we did four festivals online. So definitely due to COVID, we had to adjust. We adjusted very quickly because as soon as we realized that there is no other choice uh, to bring our cinematography to, to the viewers, which we'd like to outreach, we decided to go online and that looked like a very good solution. And I must say that after a year, so it's now already a year since we launched it, we see really very positive results. And I'm really very much looking forward to the feedback in England because uh, in England, we never never done it. So last year we did it in some countries, like we did it in Latin, in Australia, in Spain. And now we are very much looking forward to uh, what the uh, UK citizens tell about that. Yeah, so this is a first, the first time you've done this here. I've noticed that it says that the films were selected specifically for a British audience. Can you tell me what the thinking was behind that? Definitely, when we do something on the other markets, yeah, on the I, I'll call it on the local market, we look at different things. So we 
try to understand what are the preferences of the audience because it varies a lot. So the audience in San Sebastian and its preferences, they vary from the preferences of the audiences in Korea, for instance, yeah, in Seoul. So we try to adjust a little bit the program and see what, so what would match more the European audience based on our research what the LATAM audiences prefer. It's interesting that even these preferences, they vary from the online. If you see online trends there, they show, for instance, that in LATAM, the audiences prefer online more comedies, but in cinemas, they prefer horrors, you know? And we try just to adjust just our choice to that, what the audience is expecting. But on the other hand, we also try to show what the Russian cinematography has to offer and uh, sometimes bring solutions which are not very expected and get a very positive result. Well, that's right, because a lot of people may have preconceptions about Russian cinema or not know very much about it. So I'm certainly really enjoying, just at this past year, discovering more Russian cinema and contemporary because, as you suggest, there are so many different genres and so many different tones being struck, but it's everything I've seen has been fantastic. Can you tell me specifically, actually, about the female-directed work in this season? Before I start answering this question, can I ask you, what have you seen? I've seen um, Dr. Lisa, which I thought was very, very powerful, and we will be discussing today, and I saw Masha. But I have seen other Russian films that are not in this season as well. I found it quite powerful and often challenging, but very intelligent and surprising at times. So, what was surprising yeah. for you? Well, in, in Dr. Liza, I mean, this is a real life story, but it covered an area that I, I didn't know about, you know, a side of society and, and that's shocking facts about the medical system. And I, I was educational as well as being entertaining. Yeah, I think that this specific uh, picture, this story could happen in any country. It could be also in US because as our uh, colleagues who work in sales now, they say they use the term universal story. And I'm really happy about that, that Russian cinematography is able, while producing very local stories, they managed to tell universal stories with universal values and like really interesting all around the globe. And this is also what the Russian Film Festival allows us to understand. And speaking about Russian cinematography and Russian female producers and creators. So in Latin, for instance, last year, we had the number one film, which was uh, created by the young director who actually uh, directed also Dr. Liza, Aksana Karas. It was a comedy and uh, we didn't expect it to be number one on the platforms, but it became so because this, it was a female story like about her life and uh, tragedies and uh, sorrows, but also happy moments and about friends, uh, girlfriends, like, you know, a bit like Sex in the City. And uh, this story resonated in Latin America and we didn't expect it to be, you know, to go that direction, to be honest. I see that talking about the female cinematography in Russia, I myself in this position just for like two and a half years. And I started digging into history when I started doing this job. And I found out that also in the 70s or 80s in the Soviet Union, the Russian cinematography was, the female cinematography was extremely powerful. They even used to have the Russian female film weeks. And this actually encouraged me to think about that. So I thought that next year we're going to do the Russian female film week. And they had around 70 female directors. 
I was honestly surprised. So this, so I found out that there were really very powerful female directors and producers also by that time. They didn't call them this way, but they existed. So the Russian cinematography and has a very strong female background and female history or Russian female cinematography has a strong background, which is not something which you what you expect, I believe which is not something which I thought is the case, to be honest. <laughs> what a fascinating thing to find out. And just to clarify, when you say cinematography, you're talking about filmmaking rather I'm than talking about filmmaking, um, the, yeah. the art. Because when we say cinematography, we generally mean the, the director of photography. Um, so female directors and female filmmakers, yeah. It's fascinating. So um, what is the landscape like at the moment for female directors in Russia? And what, what is the gender balance like generally? Uh, you know, I wouldn't say that there was some specific research but uh, what I see and what, what is the obvious trend is definitely the female creators, both directors and producers, they start coming from the art house films. From there, they are being taken or they migrate after that to big uh, genre movies or to series because the series are now getting like more and more popular, not only in Russia, but also all across the globe. In Russia, we have and this is like also surprising. We have 20 local VOD platforms, which is obviously immense and a lot. And 10 of them are really strong and they belong to media holdings or like to bank systems. So they usually belong to some other player. Everybody is happy to work with female directors or producers because it's a little bit different view on situation. They are more gentle. They are sometimes more tender. What you also see, they are most, more sincere. Platforms, what is also good about them, they are ready to experiment. If regular TV channels, they're very traditional. I don't know what is the exact situation in the UK, but I would assume it's similar, and we see it also in Netflix. While VOD platforms, they allow also female creators to bring their, the topics which are thrilling and exciting and necessary to talk about. And yesterday I started watching also the series on the VOD platform, which is not related to our program, but it's also interesting, by Natalia Mishininova, which is called Penguins of My Mom, about the family who, and mother who was taking the adopted kids, like a number of them. Exciting story, great direction, uh, great actors playing. So it's just an amazing story, you know. And uh, this is what you see also in our program, that. Uh, as, as you mentioned, Masha, yeah? So it's also uh, directed by the young Russian director, Anastasia Palchikova, who is actually a very successful scriptwriter. So she's one of the uh, known uh, female scriptwriters, and she's very young, by the uh, way. And uh, she was also a screenwriter of the Bolshoi, which is also in this program. So she did the script, and now she turned into directing films, and uh, she's successfully working in this direction. It's based on her own experience growing up in 90s in Russia and just she applies the female gaze to the subject of violence and crime. You know, I think it's also a little bit about psychology and about the healing process in a way when you can speak about it, talk about it, eliminate, discuss with the audience and bring up the topics which were the case in the past, which are not the case at the moment. Just this helps to live further, I think. I didn't know that was such a personal story. That makes it resonate even more. I mean, it certainly felt incredibly real. But as you suggest, so often we see these crime dramas from the point of view of the men. So it was really refreshing to see this from the point of view of a young girl growing up in sort of crime families, really. You mentioned that things aren't the case now, how would you describe contemporary Russia as being different to the the past that's being explored 
in the films that we're seeing? I would say that 30 years ago, after the fall of the Soviet Union, it was definitely a challenging time for the whole country because the country and the population has to not only to adjust to the new rules, but to create new rules. And uh, usually in this process, there are no rules at all. And there is a kind of total anarchy. And uh, there was such a period uh, which was uh, challenging for the whole society, uh, which lasted maybe for like five to seven years. It, it was really a hard time when you could face shooting on the streets and like hear horrible stories. But thanks God that's all in the past. Because, you know, in the society where it's like change, the, the change of regime happens and not in the consistent way, but in the way of revolution, which that then basically happened, it's hard to guarantee the proper way of development. And that's what, what was actually the case beginning of 90s. And this has changed <laughs> because, you know, it's also interesting due to the um, stories in the media, usually the audiences here, they have a completely wrong picture of what is really happening in the country at the moment. This is a little bit sad, and that's why we are happy to tell some stories which are more relevant through the cinematography, which are also universal. That's so interesting to hear. Thank you. And I'm really enjoying finding out more about contemporary Russia as well as past Russia watching these films. What would you say are the kind of topics that are concerning female filmmakers particularly at the moment? Well, I mentioned to you this series, which was Penguins of My Mum, because it's it's also interesting, you know, it's, I would say that the female directors, they are more eager to speak about the first topics with social impact. That's for sure. And uh, they are definitely more sincere about that. I believe that they help to form the trends. Because if we take this specific series, yeah, the uh, Penguins of My Mom, we think about uh, adoption of kids. This topic was not popular at all, like 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It was not even topic on the agenda. And now this topic is getting resonance. It's uh, people can speak about it more often. It's something which is which seems to be relevant and important. And it's also relevant and important to speak about problems which are in the society, like relationship with parents, with kids, with uh, spouses. And it's just interesting to to see how it develops, basically, that uh, you're allowed and it's it's fine to speak more often. When I say you're allowed, this means not that you're in a lot, not allowed by the system. It's important to understand the mentality. And if you watch the Captain Volkanogov film, this film, just to let the audience know, uh, it tells us the story of the Stalin times. Uh, it's a horrible time when we used to have repressions and People were literally brought to the prisons. It was definitely a challenging time. And, you know, when I was watching this film together with some European colleagues, I understood that they can't conceptualize what is the film about, but they literally can't feel it. Because we can feel the fear uh, which was there, which was installed by the system. Uh, so don't even think of speaking about certain things. And I think that the appearance of this film, Captain Polkanogov, which, which is, by the way, also created by the female director, Natalia Merkulova, together with her partner, uh, Alexei Chupov, of course, but she is also the uh, well-known Russian director. We understand that the fact that this film appears, this is the internal allowance to speak about that. Because even 
you were not allowed to speak by the system. You even couldn't come to the idea to start speaking about that. That film is such a powerful film. And I think they wrote it during lockdown as well, didn't they? Extraordinary. Finally, is there anything else you wanted to talk about specifically with the Russian Film Festival and yeah, your hopes for how people are going to enjoy it and appreciate it online through the BFI? First of all, we bring the kind of broad scope of films. And this is the Masha, which is telling us about the past. It's the 90s. The St. Petersburg time, it's also a historical film, A Siege Diary. It's a very interesting film, The Last Dear Bulgari. It's a very artistic film. It's not female, but also a very interesting one. Uh, or The Bolshoi, which tells about the culture of the country, but also tells about a strong female character. So there is actually a very much female stories in the whole Russian Film Festival, as we see now. And definitely Dr. Liza. Uh, the humorist, it's... Uh, Actually, now when I when I speak about it, I realize that there are very many historical films which belong to different uh, types, different periods of history. The humorist is more about 60s, 70s. So basically, you can better understand the picture of the country when you look all of them. Also, a great movie, which is called A Story of the Appointment, which is also created by great uh, Russian director, Avdotya Smirnova. Uh, she used to do full-scale movies, and recently she did also a great series, which is called Vertinsky. It's a story about the great uh, Russian writer Alexei Tolstoy and his life. Uh, but it's also an amazing masterpiece, because the costume works, the decorations, the uh, historical truthness, they are really impressive. I would say that it's hard to guess the picture uh, of the Russian cinematography if you don't watch all of them, because they are so different. And uh, this is what we try to do in every festival, basically, to show the variety. And I hope uh, this will be appreciated by uh, the British audience. Thank you so much for sharing that. I certainly, I'm eager to watch all the rest of it now. And um, yeah, I'm learning a lot and I'm being entertained at the same time. And you can't say fairer than that. So thank you also for, for In Your Festival celebrating female filmmakers, because that's what we do on Girls on Film. So yeah, it's, it's really great to be in this together. Thank you so much, Mrs. Markova. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Evgenia Markova. If you want to watch any of the films we've discussed today, you can find them online on BFI Player until December the 10th, 2021, and they'll surely be reaching other territories soon. Thank you for listening to Girls on Film. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the pod and share it with your friends if you like what you hear. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Emma Butt, Interns Rosa Herxheimer and Shania Pithia are partners for this episode, the London Russian Film Festival. Also, massive thank you to our lovely patrons who have signed up on Patreon. Stephen Baxter, Mel Lane, Shasha Zhu, Rebecca Del Tofu, Julie Bobards, Sophie Files, Claire Bourne and Jessica Phillips. Thank you so much. I'm Anna Smith and I was joined by Hannah Flint and Evgenia Markova. Thank you, lovely listeners. Stay safe. А в другой кинорежиссер, а здесь вот писатель жил.